You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, good morning and happy new year to you all. Speaking of this being New Year's Day, on January the 1st, 1773, which was a Sunday, John Newton, the former slave ship captain turned pastor, he introduced his congregation in the village of Olney, England, to a song he had written for them to sing together for the new year. You may be familiar with this song. Let me just recite the first stanza. It goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace to be sung by his congregation on New Year's Day to begin that new year because he saw the new year as a time for God's people to reflect on God's past, present, and future grace. In a letter that he had written to a friend, he shared his thoughts about the way he often viewed a new year and the way he approached the new year. Listen to these words. I quote, New Year's finds me employed, meaning active. I compare it to a hill on the road from the top of which I endeavor to look back on the way the Lord has led me thus this far through the wilderness. I look around to contemplate the difference His goodness has made between my situation and that of thousands of my fellow creatures. And then I look forward and perceive that I am drawing a pace to my journey's end. I shall soon be at home. What a wonderful way to view the new year. We, we, we should take John Newton's approach and view this day, January the 1st, 2023, as a hill on the road. A hill on the road that gives us the vantage point to look back, to look around, and to look ahead to see God's grace at work in our lives. And I want to encourage us to come to this day, this first day of a new year, as if it was a hill on the road to see God's grace. Otherwise, I, I fear we may enter into 2023 with nothing more than regrets and new resolutions. But I believe the Lord has far more for us this morning and for this year 
than for us just to sit back and to look back and see the regrets and to look forward and to make new promises of doing more or doing better. For some here this morning, you may look back on 2022 as a year full of discouragement and disappointment. And yet, for others in this room, 2022 was one of the best years of your life. For me personally, this past year has been both memorable and has had many highlights like moving into a new home, but it has also been mixed with many hardships like watching several of my children experience chronic pain along with other trials we have faced as a family. As I look back over this past year, I'm deeply encouraged by certain areas of growth that I can observe in my life. And yet, at the same time, I'm still aware of patterns of sin that I continue to wrestle with that I feel like I've had very little victory over, and that is discouraging. What about you? How would you assess this past year? What are your highlights? What have been your hardships? What about your personal growth in godliness? In what ways have you grown? In where, in what ways are you in great need of growth? Church, as we stand here today on this hill called New Year's Day and we look back and we look forward, we must ask this question. Is there a place that we can turn in Scripture for guidance? Guidance that will help us to evaluate our life from a godly perspective? And is there a place in Scripture that will give us guidance and help to set God-honoring goals for this coming year? And the answer is yes. There are many places we could turn, but I, I have been greatly helped with the counsel and the wisdom and the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. So if you have a Bible with you, please make your way to Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. The moment I want to read these two verses together, and church, remember what we are about to read and hear and reflect on is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. May God bless the preaching of its word. Friends, this single 
line in verse 10 where Paul states, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It has life-changing potential if we understand it correctly and we apply it appropriately to our life. So here's my aim. My aim this morning in this message is simple. I want to encourage everyone here to adopt this single line from the Apostle Paul as our anthem for the new year. That is my encouragement from Holy Scripture as we began this new year. May we all adopt this line from the Apostle Paul as our anthem. You see, when the Apostle Paul examined his life, and his ministry, and his Christian identity, he, like John Newton, saw God's grace at work in the past. He he saw God's grace at work in the present. And he was depending upon God's grace for the future. You see, God had demonstrated His grace toward Paul, and God had been at work through Paul. That's Paul's story. That's what we see here in 1 Corinthians 15.9. When God saved Paul, even though he was a persecutor of the church, the grace of God was on full display toward Paul. And then when Paul went on to preach the gospel to Gentiles in unreached areas, even in the face of persecution, not only was God's grace on full display toward Paul, but God's grace was at work through Paul. Brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, no matter what we've accomplished this year, or no matter what we've failed to accomplish this year, Paul's testimony is our testimony. We should be able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, in order to live by this motto, if that's going to be the anthem, the banner over 2023, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If we're going to make that our banner, we must first understand what Paul means when he speaks of grace here in this passage. See, grace, as Paul uses it here in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10, is describing the transforming power of of God. And that's important for us to see because we can just hear the word grace and associate it with various meanings. But here in this context, when Paul speaks of grace, he's he's speaking about the transforming power of God. Now most of the time when we speak about the grace of God, we're, we, we are thinking about God's disposition to forgive those who deserve judgment. That's what we mean by grace. And that's one of the ways the New Testament speaks of grace. God is gracious towards us. He sent Jesus to be our Savior. God saved us when we didn't deserve it, when we weren't looking for it. That, that is a, di- a display of God's grace. And that's Often, how we think of God's grace is just the the disposition of God to forgive those who deserve judgment. At other times, when we speak of grace, we, we are highlighting the benefits of salvation. What we mean by grace is, I have a relationship with God. I have eternal life. I have peace. And that's how we often speak 
of grace. But listen, we must not miss the way grace is often presented in the New Testament as the transforming power of God. Grace is not just simply the disposition of God to forgive sinners. Grace isn't just highlighting the benefits of our salvation. Grace, often in the New Testament, and here in these two verses, is speaking of the transforming power of God. Why do I say that? Well, how else would you understand Paul's words in verse 9 and 10 if grace just means God forgives? It doesn't make sense. For example, look at verse 9. Paul tells us, I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Ask yourself this question. How did Paul go from being a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel of God? Verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, does that just mean that God forgave him for being a persecutor? No, if we know Paul's story, it wasn't just that God forgave him, and Paul at some point came to his senses and says, yeah, I think I'm going to take that grace. No, God took a persecutor who was certain, who was confident that he was doing the right thing. Out of zeal for God, he was certain that, that persecuting, arresting, and killing Christians was okay until God, by His power, saved him. So how did he go from being a persecutor to a preacher? The power, the transforming power of God. Or think about the end part of verse 10. When Paul says, I worked harder than all of them, yet it was not I, but the grace of God. If if grace just means God's disposition towards sinners, then that doesn't make any sense. See, grace here means something more than just God's disposition to forgive those who deserve judgment. Grace appears to be active and empowering. See, Paul was able to labor intensely for the sake of Christ because he was enabled to do so by God himself. That's that's what Paul is saying here in verses 9-10. through That he was able to labor intensely to do all that he had done because God had enabled him to do it. Think about the way Paul speaks of the message of the gospel that he actually preached to the Corinthians. The message that he preached by which they got saved and were transformed. Listen to how Paul speaks earlier in the letter. In chapter 2, verses 1-5, through Paul reminds them of what happened when he came to them and he preached the gospel. Now, though the word grace isn't in this passage, he's, he's saying, I came and I preached to you Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And listen to what he said happened. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 
so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul's testimony was their testimony. Did you hear what Paul said? When I came and I preached the gospel to you, the message of grace, I did so in such a way that I didn't have all these rhetorical things that you were like, whoa, man, this guy's very convincing. He's very slick. Wow, how in the world could we argue with him? No, I came in fear and weakness and much trembling, and I preached to you a bunch of pagans, and you could have run me out of town. You could have tried to stone me. You could have done tons of other things that we see in the book of Acts. And guess what happened? You heard and you were saved because that message came with power. See, the grace of God came with power. Listen to what he says a little bit later in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. When he reminds them that here's this church with a lot of problems doing things that they should not be doing in need of correction and they needed to be reminded of their identity. And listen to what he says in verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you hear what Paul just reminded them of? Do you remember who you used to be? Why aren't you that way anymore? It doesn't mean that that no one struggled with those temptations anymore. But their identity stopped being defined by those things. They became different people. Why? Because the message of grace came with power. It changed them. And not only does grace have the power to save, not only does grace have the power to sanctify, grace has the power to sustain. Listen to this very familiar passage in the second letter Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. In chapter chapter 12, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I am pretty confident that almost everyone here is very familiar with that passage, but think about what's happening in that passage. There's parallelism. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He's not talking about two separate things. He's defining grace in that moment. What is that grace that God gives in weakness? It's His power to sustain you. Have you ever said that to someone? Have you ever quoted this passage or given it to someone who is going through a a time of, of sustained difficulty and trials and suffering? Have you reminded them that God says His grace is sufficient? Well, what does that mean to say His grace is sufficient? If all grace is, is He forgives you, well, that's not helpful. But what it's saying is God is going to sustain you by His power. Do you see how grace is spoken of in a far bigger and broader way than we often 
take time to reflect on. You see, if we fail to acknowledge that grace does more than just pardon, but it is powerful. If we fail to remember that, then here's here's what's going to happen. We're going to live the Christian life according to our own efforts, our own strength, and our own agenda. But grace is far more than that. Grace isn't just God saying, I forgive you. Now you do the rest. Grace is God saying, I forgive you, and I'm going to change you, and I'm going to sustain you, and like John Newton, I will see that you make it home. That's grace. Grace, we could define it like this, is the active presence of God shown toward us and through us. It's what grace is. Grace is the active presence presence of God shown toward us and through us. Look look again at these two verses. I think it's very easy to miss this. Look, Look at the fact that in these two verses, God is the main object of this passage, not grace. We can look at verse 10. And if somebody said, what, what, what's Paul talking about in verse 10? Our, our immediate response is grace. Grace, grace is the theme. No, God is the theme. Notice that. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace as at work in me. See, here's what we must avoid doing. We must not speak about grace as if it was just a thing. Some nebulous idea, some doctrinal truth. No, grace is the active work of God toward us and through us. That's what grace is. Grace is the active work of God toward us, and it's the active work of God through us. That's how the New Testament speaks of grace, and that's how the Apostle Paul is speaking of grace here in this passage. Now, why is this important to remember? Why is this a good place for us to camp out this morning as we stand on this hill called New Year's Day and we look back and we look around and we look forward. Because when we read Paul's words again here in 1 Corinthians 15 and 9-10, through 10, with, with this emphasis of how God was at work in Paul's life, we see a predominant theme. A predominant thing that I think maybe we can miss. Here's what Paul is saying in these two verses. He's saying, my life reflects the work of God. And it is no longer governed by my failures or successes. Isn't that the essence of verses 9 through 10? I'm the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle. He's looking back. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he says, God's grace was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Who is them? The apostles. That's a pretty big claim. I worked harder than any of them. But it was not I. But the grace of God that is with me. Do you hear what Paul is saying? 
in verse 9. God's grace governs my failures. Verse 10. And God's grace governs my successes. My life is no longer about what I have done or failed to do. My life is determined by God. Friends, to declare by faith that in 2023, we we are going to make our, our anthem, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know what that means? We're going to say to ourselves, and we're going to say to others, my life story is not determined by my actions alone, but by the gracious plan of God for my life. So if we're going to make this our anthem, by the grace of God, I am for I am, I am who I am. You know what that means? We're going to say to others, but starting with ourselves, my actions alone do not determine my story, but the gracious plan of God determines my story. When we see God's grace at work in our lives, And we allow it to be the lenses in which we evaluate our lives. Listen, two things will occur. Here are two things we need to remember to apply this passage to our lives, not only today and this week, but throughout 2023. When we have this kind of perspective that God's grace is at work in our lives, here's one of the things that will occur. We will be given a divine perspective of our life story. When we understand what God's grace has done for us and what God's grace is doing in us and what God's grace will continue to do for us and through us in the, in the days ahead, it will give us a divine perspective. Think about what Paul is doing here in these two verses. If, if time allowed... If we were walking through 1 Corinthians, we would have looked more at where does this passage fit in the overall scheme of this letter. Here's why one of the reasons Paul is saying this. Paul is having to defend himself yet again in this letter. There are many critics he has in the church at Corinth. And despite the criticism that he's endured from his opponents who want to detract from his ministry, and despite his grievous and scandalous past as a persecutor of the church, notice what Paul has here. Paul has a divine perspective regarding his life story. There are people that are saying, Paul, you're not an apostle. You're not like Peter. You're not like John. And Paul doesn't defend him. Somebody, yeah? He says, oh man, I'm the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called one. I, I, am, I live every day aware of what I've done. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, Paul didn't allow his detractors to to determine his story and write out his script. He didn't allow his own past to hinder him. No, Paul has a divine perspective. When Paul states that by the grace of God, I am what I am, think about this. He's implying that his past as a persecutor of the church was part of God's story. Where do I get that from? If you remember, as we went through the letter of Galatians, 
Paul wrote these words in Galatians 1, 13 through 16. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Did you hear Paul's divine perspective? But that's not all. Paul regularly rehearses in many of his letters his past. And listen to what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 12, verses, or chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. Did you hear Paul's divine perspective? Even though God had set him apart before he was born, he did not reveal himself to Paul until after Paul was a persecutor of the church. And why did he do that? Paul said very clearly, so that my life will be a testimony of the grace and mercy of God. So that people will say, I don't know if God can save my spouse. I don't know that God can save my wayward child. I don't know that God can save my neighbor. He saved Paul. See, Paul looks back at his horrible past. With all the guilt and the shame and the regret. And says... God has written grace over it. God has written grace over my story. See, Paul's perspective, his divine perspective makes all the difference. And, and Paul not only had that divine perspective of himself, he had that divine perspective about the church at Corinth. And this is amazing. I want to encourage you to take time in the new year to study how Paul opens up this letter. If you're not familiar, if you've forgotten 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing this church to say that they are a mess is an understatement. They, they are a train wreck. 
They're so bad at so many things, immorally, doctrinally, in their practice of the Lord's Supper. Their practice of the Lord's Supper is so bad, Paul says, you know what, I think it would probably be best you not even meet. (laughs) And yet, listen to how he begins this letter. To the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ. I want to kind of clean your glasses like those sanctified in Christ. Called to be saints together with all of those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both their Lord and ours. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you are enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you hear how Paul saw these Corinthians, this train wreck of a church, He doesn't begin with, you are a mess. He begins with, you've been called by the God of grace. And he's at work in you. And he will see you to the end. See, a divine perspective makes all the difference. So here's the question, what difference? What difference will it make in our lives and in this new year if we, if we adopt this divine perspective? We stop seeing ourselves and we stop seeing other believers in light of what we have accomplished or failed to accomplish. What difference would it make? Well, Here's one of the things it'll do. It will deliver us from the slavery of self-evaluation which leads to self-righteousness. If we have God's perspective of ourselves and others, it it will deliver us from the slavery of self-evaluation that leads to self-righteousness. You know that self-righteousness works on on, on two fronts. On one, we we can have such self-evaluation and so aware constantly of our failures and and the ways that we've made mistakes. And we can live in that way that it can lead us to self-righteousness of thinking, God, you could never love someone like me. Do you see how I've lived this year? That's self-righteousness. Because it's proclaiming, God, you love me because I've done enough to earn your favor. But see, when we have a divine perspective, we don't live in light of self-evaluation, which leads to self-righteousness. And it protects us from the other side of a self-evaluation that says, yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like those people. Those liberals, those people on the news, those people who vote differently than me. 
Those people who think morally different than me. How superior I am. No, when we have a divine perspective, we realize that apart from the grace of God, I'm no different. Apart from the grace of God, I deserve the same punishment. So we need this divine perspective as we go into this new year. See, a divine perspective will enable us to live for the glory of God because of the grace of God at work in our lives. So here's the second and final thing I want to draw our attention to so that we can apply this truth to our lives and we can make this anthem or this passage our anthem for this year. By the grace of God, I am what I am. When, when we understand God's grace at work in our lives, not only will it give us a divine perspective, we will be motivated to do everything for the glory of God. We will be motivated to do everything for the glory of God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 10, verse 31. He sums up Every bit of mess this church is about by telling them this. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. As you make plans, as you set goals, as you make resolutions for the new year, can I encourage you to keep this one verse in mind? 1 Corinthians 10.31 And ask yourself this simple question all year long. Whether it's a major life decision or a small moment in which no one's looking, am I doing this for the glory of God? Or do I have other motives for this action? Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it for the glory of God? Of God. Now, one final thing. One thing that I must mention at the end of verse 10. Living in light of the grace of God does not remove effort from the equation. Living by the grace of God redirects our efforts. Did you hear what the Apostle Paul said? I work Harder than anyone. Yet it's not I, but the grace of God that's with me. Sometimes we, we use the word grace as a word that just kind of means, well, this is just how I am, but at least there's grace. And we don't try. We don't repent. We don't do what the Apostle Paul says in Romans. We don't put to death the flesh. We just hope to wake up every day a little bit more sanctified than the day before and we wonder why we're not growing because effort is involved. But it's not an effort that we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We have to motivate ourselves. We need to give ourselves some kind of speech. No. It's God's grace at work in our lives that empowers us in small things and in big things to live for His glory. So what does this look like practically? Here's, here's what I think we could all do in this next year. If we seek to do everything for the glory of God, then God will empower us by His grace to live in obedience to His will. 
It really is that simple. I didn't say that easy, <laughs> but that simple. Before a word comes out of our mouth, before we respond when we're cut off in traffic, before we hit send to that email, before we let that person know what we really think about them. You say, I, I want to do this for your glory. Even if it's really, really hard, God is going to say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. So let us go into this year seeking to bring him glory because his grace has at work in us. Now, in closing, I want to return to my good friend, John Newton. I began with him. I want to end with him. In his excellent book called John Newton on the Christian Life, Tony Reinke wrote the following. John Newton was once asked to preach a little homily in the home of a friend, and he happily obliged. He chose for his text, 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. All that remains today of Newton's living room message is an outline written down by a nameless note taker in attendance. Over time, this simple sermon outline has morphed and merged into this remarkably concise summary of the Christian life. Here's the outline. I quote, I'm not what I ought to be. Ah, oh, how imperfect and deficient. Not what I might be, considering my privileges and opportunities. Not what I wish to be. God who knows my heart knows what I wish to be like Him. I'm not what I hope to be. To drop this clay tabernacle and to be like Him and to see Him as He is. Not what I once was child of sin and a slave of the devil. Though not all these things, not what I ought to be, not what I might be, not what I wish to be or hope to be, and not what I once was, I think I can truly say with the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you write the truth on our hearts today and throughout this coming year. If you do not tarry and you give us breath through the rest of this year, may we stand on December 31st, 2023 and be able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Lord, would you help everyone here in light of our various situations and struggles and temptations and hardships to believe and to see that if we have put our faith in you, you are at work in us. 
And may your grace be the anthem and the theme over our past, over our present, and over our future. Lord, thank you for this sweet reminder this morning as we begin a new year. May you bring us back to this truth again and again and again. Thank you for being a God of grace. Thank you for working in our lives. Lord, may we in this new year bring you much glory in all that we say and do. May we do it for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.